0: all of you confessed idolaters however these proceedings shall be carried out through due process of law what law demands we shall satisfy you will each be tied in a prescribed fashion and cast into the moat should you then sink we will know that your confessions are false if on the other hand you are seen to swim or float then your confessions of witchcraft are proven beyond a doubt in the sight of God. And you will be withdrawn from the water and hanged by the neck until you are dead.
1: You can't hang me! Welcome to spooky season, you queerdos and chaotics. Which is really like every day of the year for me and most progressives living in Texas. On today's episode, we're inviting in all the body horror of a Sephora makeover. Yes, that's right. Queer horror. My guest today is Dr. Andrew Scahill, assistant professor in the English department of the University of Colorado, Denver. I've been dying to have him on the podcast and glad the stars aligned to kick off the season with all this brilliance. Now, I'm a horror super fan. When I was 14, I got a job working at a local video store in my hometown. And when I wasn't Windexing the VHS porno returns, I was watching every last horror flick in that joint. I'm talking your Freddies, your Jasons, your Michael Myers, your Leprechauns, your Ann's, your Video Nasties. And don't even get me fire started, Drew Barrymore. I remember one particular time when I took out every Friday the 13th that had come out up until like 1992, which was like eight, and stayed up all night watching them back to back. As a queer kid with like one and a half friends, I found camaraderie in Monsters. I even had that plastic Freddy glove they sold at the Spencer's Gifts back in the day. You know, someone recently told me that Spencer's is still a thing. Can you believe that? Y'all better save me a lava lamp. I'm about to paint the walls with laundry detergent. Anyhow, let's get this haunted ship creaking and dive right on into the Fright Fest. Hm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the chaos. <laughs> Can will you introduce yourself to everyone?
0: Yeah, my name is Andrew Scahill. I am a professor at University of Colorado Denver uh, in the English Department. I specialize in film.
1: Awesome. So we are chatting um, queer, the intersection of queerness and horror for this podcast, and we're going to get our gears um, lubed up. <laughs> Do you
0: lube gears? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you're talking to the wrong person.
1: i oh. yeah. yeah I'm like and anything that deals with mechanics, it's not really my forte. So I don't know what you I don't know what you do with the gears. So you just like lube them or put some oil on them or just uh-huh. <laughs> pray for them. I don't, I'm not really right, sure. Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, spooky season, Halloween, horror movies, and then intersections of queerness and horror. So I want to start out by asking you. What draws you to scare movies?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I think that they um, provide you this sort of, like, emotional release that I don't think you get from a lot of genres. You know, I, I think you would get it from melodrama or soap opera, right, that inspires you to cry. Um, but there's something about the rush from horror that I've always kind of found interesting. Um <clears throat> And I think for me, it's also one of those genres that would be like me as um, a young person really being drawn to the genre as an adult I'm very drawn to the genre because it is one of those places where horror just to work, it has to tap into a fear of a particular time and place, you know, and so it's immediately socially and politically relevant. Um, mm-hmm. The genre. So I find its potential for allegory really interesting. I feel its potential for um, a sort of articulating an unconscious fear really really interesting. And it's just one of the genres mm-hmm. that because it's so visceral um, there's so much for, to engage with as an academic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, since you mentioned you as a young person, I want to ask you what's your earliest memory of seeing a horror film?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's probably Aliens. Is my guess um, okay? I, I, <laughs> Shout out to Aliens, <laughs> it made a really strong impression on me, I, and I think it was Aliens, the, the James Cameron, not the the original. Yeah, yeah, um, and so it's a film I still love, it's still a film I love to teach. Um, I, I do remember too that the Nightmare on Elm Street had a very strong impact on me, uh, particularly uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors was one of my favorite movies Mm -hmm. um when i was a kid i think for me it was i was thrilling because the kids fought back and it was kind of a proto superhero film you know where they all had powers in their dreams and that was really attractive to me as a kid who like collected comic books you know um Mm -hmm. i can remember one of the scariest films i had i I don't remember having like nightmares about um horror movies much except for poltergeist 2 um that that preacher with the kind of sunken in face. Right. Um, I remember him being a frequent guest star in My Nightmares.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, Poltergeist. I had to think for a second. So obviously, I remember Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Poltergeist 2, um, and then Poltergeist 3, I believe. I get a little confused, but mm-hmm. the Poltergeist 2 still has the cast from Poltergeist 1. So it's like yeah. Craig, mm-hmm.
0: what's T. his T. name? T. Nelson.
1: Craig T Nelson and um, Joe Beth Williams. Mm-hmm. I do love a Joe Beth Williams film. Right? <laughs> yeah, I am of the Joe Beth Williams era. <laughs> yeah, they're great, like
0: actresses, kind of like scream queens of that era. That you know, that they never quite like made it out of the genre, but who knows? Maybe they didn't want to, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: and you just covered, like, a lot of genres mm-hmm. of horror, I totally. feel like, because there's, like, the paranormal, mm-hmm. there's the, would you call Freddy Slasher, and then also, like, fantasy? It
0: it's, it's a supernatural slasher, is probably what right. you would call it. You know, it's, it's the one that, that was terrifying to me about that whole franchise is that it's all about being a young person and being vigilant and, and staying awake, right? Mm-hmm. First movies, really, it's about Nancy's virginity and protecting her virginity and always staying awake and being vigilant um and so the franchise overall it's just it's a really scary concept to me of like kind of like what psycho did for your assumed safety in the shower like for nightmare on elm street it's like you're not even safe in your dreams in fact you, it's one of your most vulnerable spaces yeah. is, is when you're asleep and I, that was a really terrifying idea for me as a kid uh, and still stuff about like night terrors or paralysis that still freaks me out you know
1: I had sleep paralysis for a short amount of time, and I'm here to tell you that it's that, story, but story. haunted. Yeah. I was the bitch was haunted. I'm like, <laughs> I was st- at the time. I was, I was at doing. Oh, I was doing summer theater, okay. professional summer theater, and they put me up um, in this house that was a. Fo- it was called the Bernheim House on the campus of Muhlenberg College. They do a summer theater. It definitely um, Bern- sounds
0: like a place where murders happened.
1: Well, Bernheim House used to be the old German department. <laughs> and then it was like that was gutted and it was taken over by the theater kids and, they, and I was staying up on the attic floor. And like when I say that this looked like an old creepy house, it looked like an old creepy house. <laughs> And, and it started where I would feel like I was being held down in the middle of the night, and, and something was whispering in my ear very, very quickly, and I start, started to see shadowy figures enter through the door, and I could not move, but I felt like I was highly aware. Yeah. And it went on until I finally just was like, you know what? Summer theater isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nor staying in all German houses.
1: (laughs) I'm like, this is not the Udo Kier of my dreams. This is some creepy German house. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. When I teach the horror genre, and, you know, this my uh, specialization, and so I teach, whenever I'm up for a genre course, I usually teach uh, horror. One of the first assignments I give my students, I call it it an autoethnography, and they just write a report about, like, here's what scares me in movies. Here's, um, you know, one of the questions, is there anything too much? Is there anything you can't watch? Is there anything that other people find scary in horror movies that mm-hmm. you don't? And then importantly, like, what do you think that, where do you, where do you think these um, sort of uh, fears or, or, or lack of or like where do you think they come from? Do you think that they're hardwired in you? Do they think you're part of your experience? Um, you know, are you afraid of spiders because you feel like it's hardwired, or did you have a bad experience? It's really interesting because mm-hmm. it is such a personal genre. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like as you're going through those different like subgenres, like why is it that some people are terrified by possession films and others kind of find them silly? You know. Um, why do some people find a killer doll film scary and other people find it kind mm-hmm. of a joke? Um, and then I think it's a mix, maybe, of biology and um, experience.
1: Right. Well, what is it for you?
0: Well,
1: I mean, I do, what really works on you? I mean,
0: I, I'm fine putting myself on this on the couch for my students because it's a way to illustrate like the personal nature of, of horror. Uh, uh-huh. uh, so I'm epileptic, or I, or I was diagnosed epileptic when I was okay. younger, and so for me, like an, as, as an adolescent who would you know, have seizures and wake up in the hospital or wake up in an ambulance and not know how I got there, it was a really terrifying idea to like not be in control of my body, right? And, uh, and to lose control of my faculties was a very disturbing thought to me. And so mm-hmm. any kind of paralysis films, any uh, being trapped kind of movies, buried alive is like one of the worst things I can imagine, uh, being in a coma and trapped inside my mind, that is terrifying. So it's it's always those films that really freak me out. Um, The Descent was a really hard film for me to watch. And uh, and, uh, this is where the women go uh, spelunking, and there's kind of creatures down there. Mm -hmm. It's not the like claustrophobia of the cave, but there's a point in which a woman's leg gets pinned underneath a boulder.
1: Yeah. Horrifying. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: I hear you on that one.
0: 127 hours. I will not watch it. Um, Yeah. One of the like really white knuckle, almost to the point of nausea experiences I had was actually watching Gravity. Um, where Sandra Bullock is like in that spacesuit and just spinning endlessly in space. Like the idea of like it's like it's like the the love child of agoraphobia and claustrophobia. You know what I mean? It's like you're in your coffin endlessly spinning until you starve to death. Like that is horrifying. And so that film gave yeah. me like a panic attack almost.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you on that. It's because I my earliest, well, the, the earliest horror films that I remember watching would, were like Friday the 13th mm-hmm. and then also Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, slasher films like that, I'm like, I really enjoyed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like, you, I, they didn't scare me.
0: Have you, have you explored this much? Because, I mean, there's all sorts of theories about like how the slasher positions us. Is it, is it positioning us um, as sadists? right, that we're positioned as the killer and we're enjoying and dispatching these really sort of, like, unlikable versions of exactly. yourself, right? Um, yeah. or, or are we positioned uh, in a masochistic space, right, that we, that draw ourselves as the victims? It's, it's horrifying, right?
1: I think it's more from a revenge fantasy, mm-hmm. because especially with, with Jason in those films, he was, like, killing the asshole bullies, like right. these popular kids. I'm like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Be done with them. One of my favorite stories about <laughs> like spectatorship, and because that's what I tend to write about is like spectatorship and affect when it comes to um, genre. But one of the great stories about this is like um, in the 80s, uh, in the inner city slashers were immensely popular and based on like our ideas about race and identification, it didn't make a lot of sense, right? Because we have this idea of like audiences go to movies for versions of themselves, right? And if there aren't African-American actors in the film, mm-hmm. they wouldn't want to go. But this is the case where that didn't seem to be true. So when they did exit interviews with these um, mostly African-American youths, they were like, you know, why, what, what'd you like about this movie? And there's a certain pleasure to be derived from watching privileged white kids yeah right and so so it is a more sort of like aggressive spectatorship or sadistic spectatorship
1: yeah yeah so i i hear you on the on the um probability of things in horror films actually happening being the kind of like thing that really sets off my fear Mm -hmm. so like your final destination Mm -hmm. although i mean it's just like a bizarro chaos <laughs> set of circumstances. But like anything where like it could possibly happen, <laughs> right. Right. then I'm like, I don't like this at all. But I yeah. hear you on the gravity thing with like hers I it's just seeing her spinning out of control. It's like you're done. You might as well just yeah. say goodnight. <laughs> and
0: and just the idea that like you couldn't even help yourself or there's no one to help you is that's horrifying it's like it's like it activates my existential dread you know what i mean that we are Mm -hmm. all alone you know um yeah yeah but um I I, i mean i find it like really just fascinating what works for people and even like when you think about horror as a genre it's a big umbrella but there are lots of different like types of affects under that banner of horror that aren't all that similar, right? Like, like, um, like a gross-out moment, um, like The Exorcist, or something like that, is very different than the dread you feel like in The Shining, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that's very different than a shock. Um, and, uh, and so all of those things are under the banner of horror, but they're actually very different emotional registers
1: yeah and especially for me anything dealing with catholicism uh-huh. as someone who like grew up in the catholic church and then went sure. <laughs> running screaming <laughs> out the doors uh-huh. like those type of catholic Films really work on me in a really? different way. <laughs> I mean, my, my ex was the same way. He was raised
0: Catholic. I was also raised Catholic all the way up until high school, and mm-hmm. for that reason, because I kind of rejected all of it, it doesn't work on me. Like possession films are silly to me uh, because I don't believe yeah. in the devil. I don't believe in any of that bullshit. And so, so for that, like, so possession films do nothing for me. But like medical, hospital kind of horror. Um, that is terrifying to me. Because mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't because it's real. Home invasion films freak me out because that's feels uh, very okay. real. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, but I'm not worried about like um, you know my my neighbor being possessed by the devil and having to calling a priest to exercise. Like that's just not part of my logical world. But someone breaking into my home and and, and committing murder that absolutely is part of an imaginable world to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I remember too. Um, speaking of sort of body horror, mm-hmm. um, the early films like Your Blood Feast, <laughs> um, your sort of your your just gross out films from the past. There was a certain like theatricality about mm-hmm. them, like the blood was like mm-hmm. very pigmented. It didn't look real. But I feel like there's been more of a more of a push <laughs> into the kind of like realistic looking body horror that just I also can't watch. (laughs) I'm like, I don't need to, I just don't need to see that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, those kind of like
0: body breakdown films, Um, it really for me comes down to the the special effects in a way. Like, am I lost in the realism of it? Or you know, my mind can do this thing with a lot of horror where something violent will happen, but I'll go, that's corn syrup. That's a prosthetic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like knowing about a lot of the production techniques can really kind of like disinterment a horror a lot of the gore you know it makes I can just sort of like logically go oh this is actually how they made that shot you
1: know right
0: but when I get engrossed in the realism of it you know what a sound will really freak me out like the sound yeah will, will really I <laughs> yeah. It really hard to I always remember like when I was a kid and there would be some like sports like where some guy would like break his leg and they would show the instant replay. Oh! I could never <laughs> oh, I, don't, gosh. I, don't, I don't like to see bones coming out of the skin. You know what I mean? No.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I had um, a compound fracture once mm-hmm. when I was a little kid and I still have the scar from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I, I will never unsee that. (laughs) I'm like, somebody put this back inside of me.
0: (laughs) It's a terrifying thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that stuff, I don't like it. But if I can turn my brain off and like, think about how the shot was done, that's one way in which I kind of like protect myself, I guess.
1: Right. So since you brought up Nightmare on Elm Street, you've also, um, you were a scholar and you worked on this film, Scream Queen, which chronicles um, a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which has become a kind of what you would say cult classic, classic within yeah. within the queer um, sort of vernacular. Right. Um, yeah, maybe we could maybe we could sort of start there with um, intersections of kind of queerness and horror, and maybe even. Well, I believe that the thought was that they didn't intend for it to maybe be that queer of a horror film. <laughs> uh, I
0: don't think so. Actually, you know, there's the screenwriter, his name's David Chaskin, uh-huh. has in the years like after admitted that he okay. Put, uh, um, and, you know, and he has this quote, um, which is actually part of the documentary, that he says, I didn't intend to make a homoerotic film, um, I intended to make a homophobic film. And he said that this right. idea, and this is the conceit of Phenomenology sure, too, is that like in this film, a- Freddie invades the body of a, of a young man, and it's kind of playing on psycho a little bit, where um, Freddy's almost this alternate personality within his body, and every time this young man is aroused often by his male classmates. Uh, Freddie emerges and kind of wreaks havoc. And so he's literally like the queer monster inside of him that has to be mm-hmm. continually repressed. Um, and yeah, and so David in the screenwriter is like, um, in an era of AIDS, I just thought that this is something that would frighten my teenage male straight audience, right? That there might be queerness lurking in them. Um, <clears throat> So, right. yeah, and so in, in, in the end of the film, um, the kid is cured of his his queerness through the love of a woman, right? And so um, David Cheskin's kind of like callously joked that uh, that they should show this at conversion camps, right? Um, so <laughs> it, it's not even subtext. It's really kind of on the surface, you know? Um, and and in this, this, this is an era, right, where like, aids is front page news it's still being called the gay cancer um the the vampire genre which had for a while kind of gone dormant re-emerges in the 1980s with fright night with lost boys and vampires don't look like they did before they don't look like uh, romanian aristocracy they look like um young queer men you know they look like mm-hmm. um, a new wave punk band they look like Flux yeah Cedars. totally so it's not an accident that the vampire film comes back in this time where we're pathologizing queer men as um, vampires, as, have, as having um, sick blood, as trying to convert um, straight people over to the cause, right? It's all it's all there, you know, um, yeah. for the metaphor. So, yeah, I mean, so it's like... This film, Nightmare on Street Two, is kind of an anomaly, and it was it was definitely like a joke when it first came out. And people called it, "Oh, the gay horror movie," uh, but it also makes it sound like it's an anomaly, and it's not. It was actually part of this sort of fear mongering in the 1980s, and and mm-hmm. casting queer men as as the nouveau givin.
1: Right, you know, I I often I, I didn't really um, think of the Lost Boys as 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 being a part of that. Error of HIV/AIDS. You know, with one of the vampire films that I think of of that era is *The Hunger*. Mm-hmm. There's something about illness um, and kind of aging in *The Hunger* mm-hmm. that makes me make that I that I have that connection a little bit more than I do with *The Lost Boys*.
0: Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I find *The Hunger* to be actually a pretty progressive film, um, <laughs> uh, whereas I find these other ones to be pretty. Uh, conservative like you know i mean it's even in like the title of the lost boys it's invoking peter pan right as Mm -hmm. these men who never grew up which is of course how we're often talking about queer men right as having arrested development or having peter pan syndrome and so they're already kind of like evoking that sense of like here's this these lost boys these homosocial communities of boys who've never grown up you know they've never gone into maturity
1: yeah, and you have the the quarries in it, mm-hmm. which were so much of that that era, and and mm-hmm. <laughs> like reverberate through that very eighties style,
0: right? And it's a film. It's, it's classic um, thriller plot, which takes your sort of like normative protagonist. It introduces him to characters who are powerful sexy uh but also dangerous and and what and so the characters are drawn to that but then they have to eventually divorce themselves from it right um it's the same plot as like the craft right where Mm -hmm. it's like drawn to these like powerful kind of queer outsiders but then she has to uh, turn the tables and say no and then sort of uh conquer the queer monster
1: Mm -hmm. have you been okay since you um have gone into academia, and now you're 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 kind of looking back on films that maybe you saw when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Any surprises now that you look back? You're like that movie was actually very queer in the uh, horror genre.
0: Huh. Yeah, I mean, this is um, so. I just got interviewed by um, the New York Times about uh, this new television show coming out called Chucky, which is based on Child's Play. Mm-hmm. And Don Mancini, Don Mancino's, um, who was the original um, screenwriter for *Child's Play*, is gay, um, and that franchise has always been very queer. Um, it is definitely about this sort of like doll that that does the things that, that the child can't, and he's this sort of queer avatar, but he's definitely a thing to be conquered, right? And so it's about mm-hmm. sort of releasing that that queer monster who is costumed exactly like the child protagonist, right? Um, and and so looking back on that, it makes a lot of sense. Of course, that franchise goes uh, very queer, very camp with, you know, Jennifer Tilly. And it kind of goes that Nightmare on Elm Street route where it becomes, um, like, camp horror. Um, so for this new TV series, though, Don, uh, Don Mancino's back um, at the helm. And it's taking a really, like, liberal turn into queerness where the kid who gets the Chucky doll is actually gay. He's a gay um, Mm -hmm. adolescent um, in junior high and Chucky is actually the thing that protects him from his bullies.
1: I did hear a comparison to this in Let the Right One In.
0: Yeah, I probably posted something about that. Maybe Uh, it was you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's it's kind of like, it seems to me that it's filtering the franchise through Let the Right One In. Um, And it's going to take a, it looks like a pretty similar thriller plot in that like, um, he is going to be his protector, and, but he's also going to want to kill his parents, right? And so the child is eventually going to have to turn against the kind of queer monster um, and and sort of take the middle road, right? right? And, this, and I think this is something like a lot of texts are exploring, like what do you do with righteous anger? So this is really something that African American cinema is exploring, right? Of like what do you do with the anger you have at the establishment Can, and and um, like a, a character like Killmonger in Black Panther is like anarchic, right? And so, a lot of these films are like, how do you rechannel anger into something productive? Mm-hmm.
1: How do you feel about um, the current trends in doing sort of longer form? Well, I guess I guess the new check would be an instance of this, but doing longer form, sort of mini series mm-hmm. or series of horror. Yeah. And have you seen any? that you would recommend?
0: I mean, um, The Haunting of Hell House is one of my all-time favorite novels, and I was very um, concerned about them adapting it, especially, like, (laughs) modernizing it, where it's pretty clear that they're not a group of strangers anymore. They're a family. And Mm. um, so... But I I think that was a fantastic series, and I I really... um, mostly trust mike flanagan i think he has some really really great um ideas um and so i I think that was a really good example you know the thing about like hollywood cinema or things coming out of hollywood is that they will always be conservative um, in the sense that um they're risk averse right they don't want to try new things because you're putting a lot of money on the line Mm
1: -hmm. and i
0: was telling my students like the, the main way you can tell a film's ideology is to just look at its budget if it's three hundred million, it is not going to make very many innovative choices because right. Hollywood is a loan shark system, right? And are you going to test um, this three hundred million dollar film with um, uh, a queer lead, right, or an interracial romance? Probably not, because that hasn't been tested. And um, and so horror, because it's all because it's generally been so cheap to make, and it's not so driven by a star system. War is where a lot of innovation happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then television, because um, it, is, it generally doesn't take as much to make, it generally is not as driven by a star system, is also where innovation happens. Mm-hmm. And, and television is really interesting because, especially if it's like multi-season, there's this sort of immediate feedback loop with audience um, that can actually change how uh, a story is written. Um, that doesn't really happen in film, unless it's like a long-form franchise.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I actually mentioned that I was I was very much enjoying Midnight Mass, which is Mike Flanagan's new series. Here. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing: <laughs> very much what you mentioned to me when we had a conversation is that it is monologue heavy. <laughs> it does get a little like, uh, okay, I've got to like really unpack this for you in a thirty minute monologue. <laughs> but there's something about it that. Um, it's just people wrestling with the idea of of like the death drive and and faith and what it means to to have faith and spirituality in you know now that just just these ideas and seeing them kind of like placed over the backdrop of like this this angelic um creature who's also um, both angel and then and then these folks demons and then mm. he comes in and kind of starts destroying the town. So it's mm. like the thing that they believed in, the doctrine they believed in, winds up destroying them. Mm. Um, it's just re- the concepts are really cool, but I'll <laughs> let you decide for yourself. Yeah,
0: I, I do want to see it. I do trust him. Um, I I think I had to be in the right mood for something that's going to require my attention. You know what I mean? Like
1: marijuana.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I had to a smoke a lot of weed to get through those monologues. <laughs> I, I think, like we talk about like gaze versus glance cinema, like G-A-Z-E. And mm-hmm. so like uh, there are certain like texts, especially television texts, that you can watch them as a, in a glance mode, right? You can be on your phone and um, they tend to be highly repetitive. and yeah. uh, And because you have a controller in hand, you can miss things and go back. Whereas cinema tends to be like, Gaze right. It's it's meant to be consumed in one sitting, in silence, you know, uh, in the dark, and so it's written differently. And so I, when it's TV that requires that kind of raw attention, I need to co- commit time to it, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like well, well that, the,
0: yeah. like, you can look at you,
1: you can look at your phone when Hamish Linklater just goes off in a thirty five <laughs> minute monologue. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed his performance in it, though. I have to say, he was very good. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Cool. Well, I, I'm very interested in <laughs> it's racing. I purposely not read um, anything about it, so um, so the whole like angel devil thing, I don't know anything about. Um, but I'll be looking for it when I watch.
1: Yeah. And it now sounds,
0: it sounds very like Stephen King, right? It's it's very like needful things.
1: Very, very much so.
0: Yeah, I feel like yeah. that's kind of what it's riffing on somebody called it Maybe you call it like a mix of um the mist and salem's lot
1: yeah okay i did i did get salem's lot vibes from mm-hmm. it most definitely right um in that there are these yeah and the same with the mist it, it in that there are these like deeply complex characters in it mm-hmm. who are going through just a range of, of different things, um, and it rather than there be, you know, like another horror movie that be like very expendable characters that are only there to get killed off in very
0: interesting ways. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> right, right. I mean, yeah. that,
0: those the films that I tend to be to gravitate towards to uh, are the more like existential horror, and um, so yeah. uh, honestly, mostly because I feel like um, I feel like anybody can do a, a, a shock you know a jump scare is not hard to to film right any hack can do a jump scare um it's a pretty simple formula. but to create and maintain tension and suspense i feel like it's a skill that not which, many directors have
1: yeah which i would say that a24 mm-hmm. is doing yeah. very well yeah, like a24 has really expanded there's a whole genre of like Folk and existential (laughs) and psychic dread. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: um, there's a. I I taught Japanese cinema uh, last semester, and Japanese cinema has been doing existential dread for decades, you know, Mm. and in really, really fascinating ways. And so one of my favorite directors, uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, uh, did this film called uh, Kairo or. I think it translates to circuit um, or sometimes pulse. Um, And and it is like set in a world where like when people feel like utterly alone and give into that, just like the meaninglessness of life, they kind of disintegrate and they (laughs) sort of exist as a wound. In the environment Uh, and and i just find that to be just like a fascinating idea oh wow and a different take on the idea of, of ghosts right it's 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 like i don't know it's like a corporeal ghost or something um damn yeah. that's from, and one of his other ones cure um it is a kind of a serial killer film kind of a police procedural but it is a man who basically oh i've
1: seen this yeah
0: through his presence sort of activates people's repressed oh he, he releases their repression see these scenes where you know a housewife is like dishing out dinner for her family and then just sort of picks up a knife and starts stabbing her husband right because she's yeah yeah her hatred of him until this moment that this stranger walks past their house. It's crazy. It's so interesting.
1: Right. So you mentioned Chucky. Is there anything else that's coming up that you're looking forward to?
0: Um, so I just <laughs> yesterday, sorry, yeah, yesterday I saw Titane. I don't know if this is on your radar at all.
1: It was. And I I, I meant to go and see it. And then I, I didn't wind up going, but I mm. do still want to go and see it. How was Let it? Let me
0: know what you think.
1: Oh, is that like a... It, is, isn't.
0: it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh,
1: no. Maybe <laughs> I mean, I'll skip that then. <laughs> I mean,
0: I, you know what? I went this morning because I was just like, surely no one is giving this a good review, right? I go to tornadoes and it's like 85% approval. You wow. know, Certified fresh. And I was like, huh. Um, and legitimately, people might be seeing a different thing than I'm seeing. Um, I just found it <sighs> so pretentious and so poorly plotted the characters ha- seem to have no understandable motivations um <laughs> and things just happen because the plot needed them to happen it's kind of maybe that just right. me mad for the bad screenwriting and i i wasn't a super fan of raw i thought it was fine um i had some of the same problems where i'm like is this the real world or is this some allegory like you know, it just seems yeah. like, like it wanted to be in the real world, but people don't act like real people do, which is one of my pet peeves. I was
1: also not that into Raw.
0: Yeah, I, I think that like Titane, it's doing trying to do a lot with like using gore in a sensationalist mm-hmm. way. And that kind of, like, Lars Van Trier kind of, like, let me show you a clitorectomy because I can. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> if you're really in the mood to see someone try and get themselves an abortion with a chopstick on the toilet, uh, this is the movie for you.
1: That sounds like I could skip that. <laughs> you
0: know, I'm just, I don't know. I'm okay going through something if there's a point to it, but I'm just like, what, right. what am I going through this for? You know what I mean? Um, I yeah it made me mad it was serious, right. you know, so bad <clears throat> but some people seem to love it so uh, you know. so
1: you're not recommending *Titan*.
0: <laughs> i i cannot res- i cannot responsibly recommend it to anyone but if anyone does see it i would love to hear what they thought because i'm right so curious how people are loving this film um yeah but yeah maybe i'll
1: skip that and Mm-mm-mm. i'll move on to lamb which oh, is coming yeah. out I'm, I'm the new a24 it looks like it's giving me a little bit of witch vibes
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for sure yeah um yeah i thought that looked really interesting um what else is on the horizon um Horror, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell for you for
1: romance.
0: <laughs> I'm, going to you, I'm going to tell you at HorrorFest um, in two weeks, so I'll have a lot more to say at that point. Oh, um, Antlers is the final film. Of oh, HorrorFest. Um, I'm lowering my expectations because I've heard that it keeps getting delayed because it's not getting good um uh, screening, oh. uh, like uh, audience screenings. But that also doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, but I've heard that that's what the delay is about. That's. I, I love Carrie Russell. I think she should be a bigger star. I think she's an amazing actress. So I'm. Uh, I'm excited for it.
1: Right. Cool.
0: Um, there's a lot of queer stuff out now actually um, so we talked about Baccarat um, uh, early, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a previous day um, which has very interestingly like, queer undercurrents and it's a sort of like socialist queer revenge film um, uh, there's a film called The Retreat um, have you heard about this one speaking of I do No. Okay, so this is a film where I'm like should I recommend it to people because it's a very very hard watch? So the setup, and I'm oh. not really giving away anything that's not in the trailer. Um, there is uh, a, a retreat, owned, uh, a cabin in the woods, owned by this gay couple, and they're inviting um, queer people to come and like you know have a relaxing. Turns out <laughs> not to be run by queer people. It's run by an alt right organization that um, kidnaps oh, no. and tortures gay people and murders them live on the internet. Uh, oh. For. <laughs> other alt-right people um and so it was honestly so hard to watch because the homophobia felt so real um and i could right. i could i could see something like this happening in real life and that's why it was so hard to watch but if you get past the like first half the revenge part of it where these two lesbians just fucking kick ass is very very
1: oh. appealing
0: um uh, and it, Is they, there
1: a lesbian superhero moment?
0: Kind of, you know? <laughs> okay, and, excellent. And they're also like a very believable couple, so I like you know that that was also nice. Um, so, but, but yeah, but it was a hard watch. I like, am telling people like definitely, I feel like every queer person should see this movie, but it, it puts you through it because it, it, right. you know, it activates all those kind of fears that you have of you know what could actually happen to you.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it's on the list of like things that could probably happen. (laughs) Uh
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. It's it's basically like a it's a queer hostel, is how we would describe it. (laughs) Ugh. I don't like that. (laughs) uh, I'm okay like going like I said, am okay like going through something if there's a reason, right? And this one I feel like it had a reason, right? It wanted to give me trauma catharsis, right? And it did that really successfully. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I think one of my favorite movies of the past—I don't remember if it was a year or two years—was Freaky.
0: I loved Freaky. I think that's such a funny um, and a really like great mix of comedy and kind of body horror uh, and gross out, you know, um, horror. Mm-hmm. There's a really good book called um, Laughing, Screaming, and it points out all the similarities between gross out comedy and body horror. They're actually really, really similar genres. Um, right uh but yeah i loved i loved it's like queer like core you know um it it felt really fun and vince vaughn who normally i don't love does a really good impression of a millennial girl or gen z girl yeah totally quite convincing (laughs) it's like nick crow level um uh, imitation Uh, well thank
1: you so much for doing this yeah
0: absolutely my pleasure it was great having you and I love Mm -hmm. talking horror and it's
1: um, yeah and I I can't wait for spooky season to be upon us yes (laughs) yes
0: yes exactly can I tell people social media stuff yes please do Um, so if uh, to twitter um, (coughs) is Andrew Scahill S-C-A-H-A-L-L and then I have a website where I kind of update uh, what's going on and that's adscahill.com um, look for hopefully coming up um, early next year. Uh, Shudder, um, the horror network, um, did a documentary called Horror Noir about African Americans in the horror genre. And it was really, mm. really a good success for them. Um, and so they've greenlit two more one on women in the horror genre and one on queer people in the horror genre. And I am a talking head. Um, on oh, how excellent. Yeah. So I was, uh, my interview segment was right after um, Alaska Thunderfuck. So that was quite a blast
1: there you go (laughs) i love that oh and then also folks can catch you um in scream queen which is the documentary about um uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street too.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Scream Queen, My uh, Nightmare on Elm Street um, won the Dorian Award uh, for Best Documentary. It's kind of like a queer Oscar. We were up for the GLAAD Award for Best Documentary. Um, and I think it is sitting, last I checked, it is sitting at Rotten Tomatoes with a 100% uh, critic approval rating. Which is crazy.
1: Hot. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it very, very immensely it's
0: it's it's great documentary and i'm very proud of these guys this is the first documentary they ever made they made it on like part-time you know um as a kind of labor of love and it it could have been a kind of fan service documentary but what it actually is is like using this film and what happened to its actor kind of drummed out of hollywood for being gay it it uses it to really give like an exploration of hollywood in the 1980s amid queer paranoia and aids phobia
1: Totally. I, you know, that, that meta-narrative that was occurring over, over just, you know, that film itself was just super interesting to watch.
0: Yeah. I, re- I really think it yeah. took the, the, what could have been a very fairly straightforward, simple documentary to the next level. It's about something bigger. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure.
1: Are you an LGBTQ plus identified individual that has a humorous story of failure? Attempted a pandemic hobby that didn't go as planned. A witch whose spell brought unexpected results. Tried cooking a new dish for a dinner party that veered horribly off course. Queer Chaos Podcast wants to hear from you. At this show, we rally around the queer art of failure and experiments that didn't quite make it. Email your funny trips down the tried it lane to queerchaospodcast at gmail.com. And your story might land right here on our little show. Please include a first name you'd like to be known by and the city town you're located in. We won't share any other information. We ain't trying to dox a bitch. And please make it a story and not just the result. Like, my cat puked on my date. Queer Chaos is hosted and co-produced by me, John Militris, and recorded at House of Pod in Denver, Colorado. Our podcast cover art was created by Evan Lorenzen, who you can find on the Instagrams at artandsuchevan. That's A-R-T-A-N-D-S-U-C-H-E-V-A-N. Evan is also an amazing tattoo artist based in Denver, so check them out. You can find Queer Chaos on Instagram at QueerChaosPodcast and online at QueerChaosPodcast.com. If you have some coins you can throw our way, we are on the Patreon, which is linked through our website, QueerChaosPodcast.com. Those coins go to monthly studio fees, website, and admin upkeep. And don't forget to send us your stories to QueerChaosPodcast at gmail.com. Until next show, embrace the queer chaos.